and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we'll be discussing chapter 15 uh, of our book, Customer Satisfaction. Yeah, using surveys to drive improvement. Perhaps we should just also say we are recording this at the time of um, self-distancing and we're currently in, 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 not just in separate rooms, in separate houses. Please bear with us if, it, if, if, if some of it is even more disjointed than usual. We can blame the technology this time. Oh, I think shambolic is the word we should aim for. <laughs> okay, so using surveys to drive improvement. It's a big chapter, this. I think what I was thinking, I, I, you know, and I love the beginning about, you know, whilst customers are often quick to form negative attitudes if they receive poor service, they tend to be much slower to revise their opinions in a positive direction. And if you think about the whole book we've been talking about, all this measurement is to make it actionable. And this is the moment when the results come out and it's time to take action. This is such a key moment that is often a stumbling block for clients. And I was trying to get my mind a, a little bit, Stephen, round why this moment is a stumbling block because this was the whole purpose of doing the survey and all this effort and questionnaire design and exploratory and rating scales and everything we've talked about in the previous 14 chapters why at this moment when you're nearly at the holy grail do you think it becomes a stumbling block for so many organizations yeah i think that's um it's a good question and, and like you I, I really liked the opening of the chapter because it, it emphasizes two things. First of all, as you said, customers are much slower to, not so much to notice a positive change, but to believe that it's the new normal. Um, so it, as soon as you make one mistake, that's the new normal, but getting one delivery on time doesn't mean that I now believe all of your deliveries are gonna be on time. Um, but, but the other thing it points out is the kind of organizational inertia that you know previous ways of working tend to reassert themselves. So it, it, it takes a lot of work um, from a lot of people to, to kind of get over that hump. So making change is difficult in a nutshell. And what, what I guess the chapter seeks to do, and I think does it a good job of, is saying, well, okay, change is always going to be difficult. What can we do with the research to make it easier? It's never going to be easy, but what can we do with the research to make it more likely that change is going to happen? Um, and I think that's that's in a nutshell what this chapter is all about and, and I think it does a pretty good job. Yeah I, I do like the uh, the word inertia and I think part of what was also going through my mind is I think this is where the organisation who's usually commissioned this bit of well who has commissioned this bit of work in some ways that's quite easy to do because that's a little bit more than writing a cheque but this is the moment now when the organisation has to commit one of their most valuable resources to driving improvement and that's their own time and that's and i think what a lot of the chapter does and i think this is a really difference between i think good research companies such as ours and other ones it is we have a duty as researchers certainly to help help change that inertia because it's no good doing a really great survey if it sits on a shelf and no actions come off the back of it. So I think a little bit later on when we start talking about how you communicate, what you communicate, and, and all those other things, that's with the responsibility of the researcher who actually should be seeing that they commission the survey to drive improvement, not just to do an interesting survey. Yeah, but I think that's exactly right. I think 
I mean, really what, what, the, what we're going to go on to talk about is what can we do with the research that will, will help make action uh, come as a result of it. And there's a few different sort of categories. There's the, you know, the nature of the measurement you're doing, uh, you know, what headline measure you use and, and what's backing that up. There's the ability that the research has to, to set clear priorities. So what, what do we need to be focusing on? And I suppose slightly beyond just the priorities, the ability that the survey has to link to stuff that people within the business actually do. So we'll talk about customer experience modeling, um, yeah. so sort of linking to, to behaviors and, and, and events that happen in the customer experience. And then that kind of also ties in with the idea of linking how customers feel to internal MI about, you know, how long did it take us to do this delivery or dot, 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 whatever the, the, the internal measures of, of the kind of efficiency of the process are. Um, so I think if, if, you, if you get the right measure and if you've got the data that's linking what, how customers feel to what you do, then it the actionability is there. It still won't happen automatically. You still need everyone in the organization pulling together and working hard to make it happen. But the data is there to, to enable it to happen. Absolutely. Should we just start with one of the things in terms of perhaps a really common mistake that we see a lot? And the chapter makes a good point on it about too much data. And again, mm -hmm. I think this is sometimes in the hand of the researcher who has spent the last few months <laughs> sweating blood about this whole project. It's been really hard work. We've done lots of great analysis. We've looked at this by this, by this, by this, by this, by this. And I want to share all that with you. So if you just give me half a day of your time, I will take you through all these wonderful different analyses that we've done and testing that we've done and explain this great methodology. All I need is half a day of your time. Yeah, and I think that's it's understandable that for a couple of reasons. Yeah, we want to justify all our hard work. Uh, we want to justify the fact that you've written us a check. So, you know, one slide of bullet points isn't going to look like it's probably worth the, the very reasonable rates that we charge, but it still <laughs> ends up being quite a lot of money. So, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, momentum pushing towards doing lots and lots and lots and lots of work. And it's good to do all that work, but it's also good to boil it down to some quite concise conclusions which as the chapter points out, all you basically need is here's our headline score and here are the big things we need to focus on over the next six months, a year, whatever it is. And if you've got that, fundamentally you've got the beginnings of the next few few months of working on that and getting better. I think it comes back to the old presentation adage about very much knowing your audience. More recently in, in some quite large surveys, um, I've very much got into the habit of doing the first presentation to the inner sanctum, which occasionally has been half a day, who really want to know everything about the research and not just the credibility of it, but you know, the devil often is in the detail when you get to the conclusions. But but that is fine for that audience, but then really saying, okay, you've got half an hour in front of the board. You know, the fact I'm putting you in front of the board means you are credible, valuable, all the research is credible, right? Let's really just go to the conclusions and the benefit of those conclusions. Because I think one bit that the chapter perhaps mentions at the end, which I thought perhaps should have been mentioned at the beginning, is if you're looking for people to commit time and perhaps money to this, is you've got to have you know the conclusion of trying to get to that it's going to make a difference to our organization this it's worth doing because it's going to make us more money or more surplus or however we define success and i think 
having that up front is a good way of making sure it's worth addressing that inertia because dot 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 yeah i think it's interesting that so because we're kind of assuming that the organization is committed to improving the customer experience and in a lot of cases we may not feel that that's necessarily true so actually job number one is prove that it should be prove that it's going to be worth the the the, yeah. the, the effort it's going to take all of us to, to make these changes so yeah I think, I think you're absolutely right that i i tend to think that the customer insight to really become a grown-up strategic tool you need two things you need to be able to show that what we do within the business affects how customers feel and that's what a lot of this chapter is about the customer experience yeah. modeling and so on and we need to be able to show that how customers feel affects what they do in terms of buying more of our stuff staying with us not complaining and all the other things that make us money or, or don't cost us money and if you've proven both of those things then then you know wanting to improve the customer experience becomes a no-brainer because you can show that if we could do this better then we would customers would be happier and we'd make more money so obviously we want to do that it still doesn't guarantee that action's going to happen but it, it's won the argument then that that it ought to happen yeah i often think part of what we present as well is is perhaps measuring sometimes what it what what is just the bleeding obvious that if you handle a complaint better than handle a complaint worse customers are going to be more happy but you know if you link that to the metrics of how much likely they are to stay with you how much likely they are to recommend you to realize giving that good customer experience as opposed to the bad one makes this much difference we all knew it would be better but to actually yeah. quantify that difference i think often is the power of what we're what we're delivering because that then says hey this is worth trying to get more of that good stuff less of that bad stuff because look at the difference it makes yeah i think quantifying the bleeding obvious could be our strap line couldn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah perhaps not a great one for marketing <laughs> purposes um yeah so the chapter then talks very much about the the strength of the priorities for improvement we've talked in previous chapters about identifying them but i think the chapter actually quite surprised me when i reread it about how it links onto the authoritative nature of it that we mm. pick the priorities for improvement the debate is over now it's the time for action yeah one of the things i really like about the, the kind of the core of our methodology that doing best what matters most measure importance measure satisfaction the thing i always sort of fall back on is that it saves us from having to have an opinion because we can just say this is what customers value this is how they think you're delivering right now therefore this is what the priorities for improvement are and everyone in the room can follow that logic understand where it's come from and they don't have to believe me they only have to believe their own customers and that i think that's why it's such a powerful tool for actually getting everyone in the room to agree that yes these these are the priorities we should focus on these three things not my pet project not your pet project not yeah. whatever's cool or fashionable or trendy these three things that are really important and we're not doing a very good job on and i think the whole idea of having the priorities for improvement it does allow that focus it's not saying by addressing that other thing that's not going to have some benefit but it really builds in the opportunity cost of saying but hold on if you focus on these one two perhaps three things this is where you're going to get the most return so whilst money and time are limited let's get focused in these areas
So the, the other thing I was going to mention, which I guess follows from that, is that that sounds super easy and it kind of is. At the end of that meeting, we say, here are the three PFIs. Everyone agrees that that's logical and they're the big things. But you then sometimes get to a bit of a stumbling block where it's a case of, but what are we actually going to do? You know, customers aren't happy with our deliveries, but do we need to buy more lorries? Do we need to get a new piece of software to help plan our, our delivery schedules? Like what, what do we actually need to do about it? Uh, and there are a few ways to tackle that. So there's the comments, there's, you know, you can, you can involve employees and do some action, you know, some sort of brainstorming workshops, stuff like that. But the thing that the chapter sort of prioritizes, I guess, is this idea of customer experience modeling, of going beyond priorities for improvement to actual sort of concrete, specific things about the experiences that customers have had to understand what impact those have on, on how customers feel. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it's quite, it, and that's a lot easier to do year two, or it's a lot more difficult to do year one when you don't know what the outcomes are going to be like. But once you've obviously got the priorities for improvement up, that's a, a lot better. It's a lot easier to be more specific with the questioning in those areas. So even in a year one project, you probably have a gut feel, certainly if you've done exploratory research, and certainly probably if you're within the organisation. We're expecting deliveries to come up i think you and me must have a load of delivery problems because we always use deliveries <laughs> as <an example. laughs> it is one of those things where it's uh i suppose if we were talking about social housing repairs is going to be the thing we keep mentioning if we're talking about business to business manufacturing deliveries is going to be the thing we keep mentioning if you talk about insurance you know the claim experience is going to be yeah every industry has its one you know known point of pain in the customer yeah. experience and probably a lot of industries have a similar moment of pain, which will be the, perhaps the complaint handling, which is why even on a year one survey, you can usually put some good customer experience modeling questions on about have you had a complaint? Yes or no. You know, did you tell the organization about it? Yes or no. You know, how many other people did you tell about it? You know, how well did the organization handle it? Be usually because we know that is going to be such a moment of truth such an impactful event hopefully only with a small percentage of customers but it does lend itself very well to cm modeling customer journey mapping particularly in, in in sort of year one surveys and i think like you said the beauty of it it is, it is very tangible and it's very actionable yeah and i think just to kind of expand on, on the idea of, of customer experience modeling and probably our, our clarity of, of pitching this has moved on a bit since we wrote this book it works really really well at an event driven survey level so on on the, the delivery that you've just had how long did it take was it on time did you get updates brilliant was it in full you know all that sort of stuff it, 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 it so it's around usually yes no questions isn't it we're trying to describe um uh, here, uh, opinions really yeah that's right so you, you want to know the customer's perception of facts so it's not quite the same thing as actual facts but what the customer thinks happened and that the, the power of that is, is if you can put that together with what we think happened then you can really start to understand where is the issue here are, are we doing a bad job or are we somehow not setting customer expectations properly so they don't understand that we are, we're doing a better job than they think we're doing or is it something else altogether and, and what you often find is that you know that the way to address things is sometimes by getting better at them you know, we, we need to fix our process we need to get more lorries whatever it might be 
it's sometimes just communication. Like we need to make it clearer to customers what's going to happen and why. And it is most often something a bit in the middle. That there's a yeah. bit of a miscommunication, a bit of a misunderstanding that leaves customers feeling unhappy. And we we hadn't known about it because we we're following our process and we thought it, it it's efficient and it's effective and it and it's good. But for some reason it's just not working for customers and, and they're ending up they end up slightly misdiagnosing it so they they say all deliveries took too long when actually it's all based on a bit of a misunderstanding and, and yeah. that can be addressed directly rather than buying loads of new lorries yeah I, it's interesting because we start getting a little bit into expectation management and particularly if an organization is a little bit uncomfortable uh, oh i'm gonna have to quote a delivery here this is quite a lengthy delivery or oh, i'll avoid having the conversation and i think organizations that really are good at driving up customer satisfaction and making um surveys drive improvements they realize that a customer is going to have an expectation when they interact with you they might not they probably won't express it to you they you might not even talk to about it but when they when they put when they send that email or they put that phone down they have an expectation in their mind as to what you're going to do mm. and you can change and manage and control that not totally but you can certainly influence it in a long way and the better you can get that aligned to what you know you're going to do the more chance you are of having satisfied customers and certainly less dissatisfied um less dissatisfied customers i think this is why we start moving into the world away from research into actionability and inevitably you start talking about communication it, you know in that same you know in that same cocktail that's right yeah and I, the example that always pops into my head when we talk about things like this is a client we had years and years ago whose staff were, were saying oh I'll, I'll pop those documents in the post for you right now so customers heard that as you'll get it tomorrow <laughs> that's right well the post only went out once a month did it <laughs> well no the post would, would, would go out the next day and, and you know 68 percent of those first class letters would get there the next day and that was fine but 32 percent wouldn't so you were kind of generating dissatisfaction but through a well-intentioned piece of communication it's just what customers heard is not quite what we said and again it's, it's once you understand that and everyone get within the business gets that then you can set a, a better expectation everyone is happier so many of these things turn out to be little details of how the customer expectation is set or not set which then it, it can get out of our control and you know no one's doing a bad job no one's getting anything wrong it's just a bit of a misunderstanding that, that's at the root of it. Quite often, I, I I do have a smile with 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 some of my clients, and on you know in, in a very positive way, when they explain why this thing took a long time to do. I'm not just talking about deliveries here, but but whatever it is, takes much longer to do than usual. And do you know what? When you listen, you think, yeah, that just makes perfect sense. Mm. So just tell that story out. The fact that. Uh, this problem needed to go to various people or it needed various authorization it was all for really good reasons <laughs> so you actually think you've got quite a good story to tell there to explain why indeed it does take that long to do that yeah and i think it's i think we said this before but it, it's um you know a bit of a trade secret is that every single client i think has what as one of their priorities for improvement something to do with communication because and, and that goes for employee surveys as well as customer surveys just because it's 
so crucial to to preventing people going away with the wrong impression about what's happening next um yeah. which is the root of so many problems i think perhaps just to sort of pull pull back to sort of one um perhaps penultimate fact here i think the chapter does make a good thing about the priorities for improvement sometimes well sometimes quite often one or two of them will be a long haul one it won't be something that can be addressed yeah, the delivery one might be something you can buy more lorries, you can do some more things, but often there's something in there that's going to take time, time because it's either really expensive or we need to do something fundamentally different or mm. actually about this is a culture change. We need to think in a different way. So we're going to have to take our employees with us on this journey now of how we sort of approach, approach, you know, you know this new world and there's a couple of sort of thoughts going through through my mind um you 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 once referenced me to a really good book about the bamboo effect that we talked to at our client conference once and and this idea that everyone thinks that bamboos just grow madly tall is only sort of half right they they grow madly tall when you've watered them for three years where they've hardly grown at all and then they literally explode and the author of of the book, who's I'm sure you can remember his name because I can't, he was talking very much about this is like culture in an organization. You have to keep watering, you have to keep watering. It's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change overnight. And I think one of those moments and at our recent insight conference we we had a, a you know a great speaker who, who who was talking about killer slides and things like that. And she was making the point the moment she felt it change in the organization was when she wasn't having to force out the customer information she was being requested for the customer information and i think that's one of those moments when you think hold on we're starting to get here now because people are asking for information rather than us forcing um you know forcing information out and i think that's the the moment when you start to think all right the organization is becoming customer centric now in terms of this isn't seen as an add-on or an addition to people's day jobs this is seen as part of their job having this sort of you know information so that's that's quite a long and, 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 and waffly monologue there really just trying to say this idea about you know when you set the pfis there probably are some quick wins there but there's something that's going to be a little bit longer term but you know it's about keeping the faith it's about keeping the faith yeah i think that's right and i think it is often the case that it would be nice if, you know, year one, here are your three PFIs, year two, oh, you fixed all those, here are your three new PFIs, but it doesn't work like that. No. Um, it, it, it just, it, it, I suppose, some organisation somewhere in the world probably has done that, but I've never seen it happen. And I, as you say, really, it, it probably shouldn't. You know, those, those things, PFIs are things that are really important to customers that almost by definition are quite difficult to do well otherwise you'd have been doing them well yeah. so it, it will take concerted effort to make even small gains in them and it having having made those improvements it will take customers a little while longer to notice them and you can yeah. to some extent shortcut that that noticing process by communicating effectively and, and helping customers to see what you've done but it still will take a little bit of time you know okay you've got a new delivery system that's that's great and, and actually my delivery last week was on time I don't know, am I suddenly going to score you a 10 out of 10? Probably not. It's going to take me a little while to get up to there, isn't it? Yeah, and I think 
the survey can help that. Um, just literally finishing a very timely project with a medical supplies company who have done a lot of changes in their technical service. Year two client and wondering, you know, are clients going to notice this? And they've certainly put time, effort and money in, but understand it might be a bit more of a longer haul. But it's quite a good, besides getting the scores like we would, it's quite a good little question and very actionable to say, have you noticed a change over the last 12 months in the technical service? Do you think it's improved, stayed the same or deteriorated? And please tell us why you say those things, which is going to let them remap people who they think should have seen improvements. Have they seen them or not? What's the customer seeing in this new area and there's a bit of me thinks that probably helps keep the momentum going because we will be able to link it to index and things like that and say hold on the people who are noticing this do you know what they are more satisfied they are more likely to buy again and just to keep building up the stick with it case it might only be 20 percent of people have noticed it but those that have it's really made a difference for them you know let's see if we can get this up to 40 percent 60 percent 80 percent and, and, and to work it through like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, anything else in terms of using surveys to drive to drive improvement? No, I think that's covered the main things, Greg. Yeah, so we've, we've got, you know, picking PFIs, we've got the customer experience modeling. No, I think those are the main things. There's loads of stuff we could talk about, particularly in terms of involving employees, but that's coming up in our next chapter, so let's save that. That sounds like a really good plan. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at TLFresearch.com. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have a good day.